0: Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, May the 10th in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And on Mondays, we take a look at a reading for the following worship services. we got a little problem here, though, because this week on Thursday is Ascension. And there are a number of congregations that do not have a Thursday night Ascension service. So what will happen is if Ascension is mentioned, it will be mentioned on Sunday, which is the seventh Sunday of Easter. We're going to be talking more on Ascension with Wes Reimnitz on Thursday, and therefore you can wait for that for the Ascension. We're going to be talking right now about lessons for the seventh Sunday of Easter. And since we're still in Easter, there is not an Old Testament reading. There is instead a reading from Acts. And this is Acts chapter 1. Then the epistle is from 1 John chapter 5. And the Holy Gospel is from John chapter 17. There's so much that could be said about these passages. We're going to be looking at 1 John 5, verses 9 through 15. 1 John 5, 9 through 15. We begin. If we receive the testimony of men the testimony of God is greater. Well, that makes sense. What, what, what does this mean? Well, we live here in this world, and therefore there are people who tell us things. They give a witness of something. Uh, for example, let's say there's an accident at the corner, and the police come, and there are witnesses to it. Now, a lot of times they may not all agree, but they pretty well will have an understanding. For example, this individual went through a red light, and he hit a car coming the other way. We believe that testimony, and therefore the person going through the red light would get a ticket on the basis of the witnesses. Now, we believe the witnesses of men, but the witness of God is greater why is that? Well, there's two reasons. Number one, the witness of men, as I just indicated, may be different. Somebody may say, well, no, he was actually almost through the green light, and the other cars started early, and that's why they crashed. So you could have a confusion of witnesses. But there is no confusion of witnessing from God. But what is this witnessing? Uh, For example, I read an essay recently of an individual, and he was talking about that, well, there were visions that prophets had in the Bible. Like John had an entire vision of the book of Revelation. And he shared that in that book of Revelation. He said, now, I haven't had a vision, but I'm not going to say what God wants you to do if I don't have a vision of it. I was really disappointed in hearing that because we know what God's will is according to the testimony that God has given, and that is Holy Scripture. Who can tell whether a testimony they receive in a vision is from God or from the devil? And there are a lot of pastors out there who are talking about what they have learned from the devil and think that it's from God. So the testimony of God is greater than the testimony of man. And that testimony is found in Holy Scripture. Now, John continues why the testimony of God is greater. For this is a testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Who can forget the road to Emmaus with the two disciples After Jesus has risen from the dead and they meet Jesus, how does he give evidence as to the reasons why he was crucified and rose from the dead? He goes to the Old Testament and from Genesis probably through Malachi gives numerous examples of prophecies that lead to the necessity of his death. We've talked a lot about Isaiah, where Isaiah writes, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That means Jesus carried your sins to the cross, and he therefore paid for them, because he was declared to be a sinner by God the Father himself, And he died, therefore, for your sins. We were talking about Philip recently meeting the Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian was reading from Isaiah, but he didn't understand. Is Isaiah talking about himself? Is he talking about somebody else? And it was all about the death of Jesus Christ. And so what did Philip do? he spoke to him about Jesus. And it wasn't long before speaking about Jesus, you hear about baptism. And the Ethiopian said, what prevents me from being baptized? There's water here. And so they went down into the water and Philip baptized the Ethiopian. Why? Because he had been telling him about Jesus. I mentioned this a number of times before. But when I did one of my degrees, I had read about a hundred different catechisms. And these are catechisms trying to help people go through adult instruction class. And what I was disappointed in is how many did not start the way that Luther started with the Ten Commandments but they started with the inerrancy of the Bible, the truth of the Bible, and they tried to prove that the Bible was true. You you can't prove the Bible is true because much of it in the Bible doesn't make any sense at all, not to an unbeliever. And so we instead begin with the Ten Commandments. That's the law. That's why this program's law, called Law and Gospel. We start with the law to show your need for a Savior. And after going through the Ten Commandments, the members of the class realize there isn't a commandment that they have not broken, if not by deed, by thought, or by word. And we can show that with the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus says, well... You've heard what people have said about thou shalt not murder, but I tell you that murder occurs even by thought and by word. So when people get to that point, they're afraid of God. That's the purpose of teaching the commandments first, to create fear of God that God has every right not to save you. Then we go to the creed, and what do we hear? We hear how God has prepared a salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Then we go to the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, we ask for that which we have already received as Christians. And then we follow up with baptism, indicating the purpose of baptism and the wonderful blessings received in baptism, for sure, the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, and often conclude with the Lord's Supper, preparing people to come to receive the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. This is all from the testimony of God that is far greater than the testimony of men. In fact, throughout the history of the church, well, throughout the history of the world, from Adam and Eve, who doubted the testimony of God and sinned, there are those who doubt the testimony of God. They they can't believe that you're really receiving the body and blood of Christ. They can't believe that an infant can be baptized, and they have many other doubts. And that is the testimony of men, which we need to ignore. If God says it, that settles it. Now, verse 10 of 1 John 5, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Now, what does that mean? Well, notice that the verb is believe every other religion in the world, whoever does good works to offset their sins, they're going to be saved. Well, that's ridiculous, because an unbeliever can't do any good work. That's what I said, because a good work is not measured by God, by the action. An unbeliever may give money to a hospital or may help, Someone with food, but the reason that is not a good work in the eyes of God is because they're doing it for a sinful reason. Motivation is everything when it comes to good works. And if a good work is done, but not done with a motivation of love of Jesus Christ, then it's not a good work. So, two clergy can go to a hospital to, well, counsel somebody who's about to have surgery. The Christian clergyman is motivated by the love of Jesus Christ, whereas someone who is not a Christian clergy, for example, a Mormon or a Jehovah Witness, they don't speak with the motivation of the love of Jesus Christ And even though that the person in the hospital could be comforted by their words, these are words that are coming out of self rather than the testimony of God. So, whoever believes in the Son of God has a testimony in himself. That means, after I was baptized, I received faith from the Holy Spirit and going to Sunday school, I believe the testimony that Jesus Christ not only died on the cross, but he died for me. The for me is extremely important, because apart from the for me, we're just talking about an act of history without any meaning to it. Remember, even the apostles had a problem in understanding the application of what they experienced. we recall Peter on a roof, and he saw a big sheet come down in a vision from heaven, and on the sheet were all kinds of unclean animals. And God told him, Peter, eat these animals. And Peter said, I will not eat. He said this to the Lord, I will not eat such unclean food. Three times he said that. And the Bible is very clear that Peter had no understanding of why he was seeing this vision. And see, that's what a sermon does. A sermon, first of all, makes it clear what the Bible says. And that is, there was a vision of unclean food. But what is the application to the people in the pew? The application is that what God has declared to be clean, we no longer consider as common. And in the sermon I preached, I talked about how there are certain individuals that we tend to stay away from because we think that they're not good enough for us. And we need to remember that Cornelius was a Gentile, and Peter knew that Jews don't collaborate with Gentiles, and yet he went to see Cornelius. Cornelius had a group of people in his house, and Peter preached Jesus Christ until the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles and they were baptized. And that became the evidence that God also wanted Gentiles saved. So, whoever believes in the Son of God, that faith, that's testimony in yourself. But whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. And that's so important. And this is a testimony that God gives us what? Eternal life. And this life is in his son. Now, this is important. There's no doubt that God gives life. And a lot of people may say, unbelievers, for example, well, I already have life. Why do I need Jesus Christ? But verse 11 makes it clear that the life that you're receiving is eternal life, that when you die, you will not go to hell. You will go to heaven itself because of your faith in his son. So verse 12 makes it clear Whoever, the son, whoever has the Son has life. And when you look back at verse 11, what's the life it's talking about? It's talking about eternal life. I have eternal life from the moment of my baptism. Not only when I die and go to heaven, but I am now living a life that is eternal. Eternal. Unbelievers have eternal death because they refuse to believe in the Son of God. Verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the task of the church, not to deal in social issues not to deal in politics, but to speak the word of God, his testimony concerning the law, and then his wonderful testimony concerning the gospel, so that people come to understand that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. John continues in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe, In the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. See, this is the difference between the testimony of men and the testimony of God. Men can make promises, but there is no assurance that they're able to carry out those promises. How many times have you seen a movie or in reality somebody comes to a person and says, Have I got a deal for you? If you'll only give me some money to start this business, we'll make lots and lots of money. And then you give them some money and it fails. That's the testimony of men. You never can be sure. But the testimony of God, you can be sure that you have eternal life. Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You see, prayer is really communication with God. And that prayer doesn't need to be in vocables that people can understand. You may be having a bad day, and you sigh relief when things start to get better. That's a prayer to God. He hears that sigh, and he answers accordingly. Verse 15 can be very confusing. If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now, why is that a hard verse to understand? Because how many times have you prayed for something and you have not received it? Maybe your child gets in a car accident and you pray that he will be healed, but he dies. Is God, therefore, not answering your prayer? doesn't mean that he did not hear you but it's clear from here that he always hears those who believe in him then what does it mean that we know that our requests that we ask of him we will receive well you need to go back to scripture interpret scripture it's verse 14 This is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything, now the next words are critical, according to his will, he hears us. Now, what does that mean? Well, I've said this before, but in case you haven't heard it, I got this from one of our listeners when I once said that God answers with yes no, or wait. And she phoned and she said, no, I disagree with you, Pastor Baker. He always answers with yes. So I asked, would you please explain that? And her explanation was wonderful. She says, when we pray, we pray for one of two things. We pray either for something he has promised, or we are praying for something for which there is no promise. I said, yes, I agree with that. She says, when we pray for something he has promised, uh, for example, when we baptize an infant, we do not say, if it be your will, provide this infant with faith and the gift of the Holy Spirit, because we know he's promised to do that. So we do not add, if it be your will. But when we're pr- praying for something he has not promised. And for example, when I was a kid learning to drive, I wanted to buy a motorcycle. And so I prayed to God to give me a motorcycle. Now, he did not give me one while I was living with my parents. They did not want me to have one. I got one finally when I got married. And so I thought his answer was, wait. But the woman who was talking to me said, when you pray for something that is not promised, the prayer includes the idea, if it be thy will. And when you understand that, when every prayer is either for a promise or for something that is not a promise and you have the understanding, if it be thy will, it will always become the will of God. And that's why verse 14 says, if we ask anything according to his will, then he hears us. And that's why he always answers every request. So my request for a motorcycle was according to his will. There is never a time when you ask God for anything that he does not give what you are requesting. As you understand, if it's a promise, he's going to give it. And if it's not a promise, it's according to his will, and he will answer according to his will. So that's 1 John chapter 5. As I indicated, we'll be taking a look at Ascension on Rumination Thursday with Wes Reimnitz. Uh, Tomorrow with Mark Smith, we're going to be taking a look at the hymn for the seventh Sunday after Easter. And that is, Christ is the world's Redeemer. And, And notice how that talks about the true testimony of God. Until then, I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening. Join us for tomorrow's broadcast. God bless you.